I'm Kristen McFarland, and this is Market Like a Badass. I'm excited for today's episode. We're going to hear from special guest Rebecca Colette, founder and CEO of Collexium. Collexium is a cannabis growing and processing company in Detroit, Michigan. Rebecca is supercharging her marketing with grassroots community efforts, giving voice to diversity and inclusion issues in the cannabis industry, and is fueling the Detroit Social Equity Incubator to empower other minority-owned cannabis businesses and help them succeed. Welcome to today's episode, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on. I'm excited to learn more. I I want our listeners to hear straight from you, though. Uh, So so tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yes. Well, happy Women's History Month. One of my favorite months. Yes. Girl power. Yes. Well, I'm happy to be here. My name is Rebecca. I am born and raised in Detroit. CEO of Collexium. Collexium is a cultivation and processing brand that I started with my co-founder, Latoya. Um, I transitioned into the cannabis industry from the tech space and being an engineer. I was familiar with cannabis from a medicinal standpoint, and I was used cannabis for many things and saw the healing powers. And then I started researching using cannabis for close friends and family and really started to see the healing power and just the magicalness of the plant. Um, and then I started researching the business side of it and moved back home to Michigan and uh, started caregiving and built that in into a commercial cultivation cannabis brand. So Collexium does flower soon to be topicals, um, edibles, pre-rolls, and also soon to be concentrates. And we supply to Michigan dispensaries all around the state. And we've been in retail for almost two years now. Wow. That's amazing. I had no clue about your story and background. And that's really cool how you've navigated into the industry and, um, Wow. I mean, that's, you're smart. That makes sense that you have that engineering background because I think it takes a certain uh, discipline and just knowledge to be able to to cultivate and grow badass products. Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely think my transition from tech to cannabis was a, um, I just, I don't want to say a smooth transition because they are nothing alike, <laughs> but um I use I was able to use a lot of my skill sets, experience, and learning from tech to transition into the cannabis space. So, and I mean, tech is in everything. Tech is also in cannabis, especially in cultivation with the seed to sell software that we have. Um, we do things yeah. on e-commerce like our merch. So, tech is all around us. And it just makes it a little easier that I understand software. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And there's, yeah, there's no escaping it, even in cannabis. (laughs) To your point, all all the compliance softwares or or whatever that you're interacting with on a daily basis. So that that's perfect. That's a good, uh, good background to have. And and that's super amazing that you've been able to just start this and, and find your path in cannabis. 
what's helped you all stand out and succeed? Well, um, Latoya and I wanted to start Collexium because we both love the plant, but in the license market, we saw large gaps. And one of the gaps was even though, you know, we as women consume, we knew a lot of other women that consume, we saw none of that representation in the legal industry. Like we saw no brands in dispensaries that were really for women. We saw no women executives of cannabis companies. Um, when I used to go to cannabis conferences, the panelists, and they weren't women. Um, so I just thought it was kind of like 50% of the population. And now 51% of cannabis consumers are women, and we were nowhere to be found. Um, and, you know, women are different than men. We have, we deal with different things and we deal with different things differently. Um, and I thought that products should be created specifically for women or marketing campaigns and education campaigns should be produced specifically for women. Like, I feel like when a woman walks into a dispensary, they should be able to identify with something, whether it's because of the color or the packaging or the messaging or the images, they should be able to connect with anything. And as a woman, I didn't see that. So we really carved out our woman niche since the fruition. In fact, Collexium, our name, is a derivative of how much we love women and girl power. So our name comes from calyx, and there's a male and a female plant. And the calyx is the part on the plant that possesses all the medicine, all the cannabinoids, TAC, CBD, CBN, TACAV, all of that. And um, it's a it's from the female plant. So even though this industry is so male dominated, the plant that produces a bud, a flower that we all consume is actually the female cannabis plant. Yes. I love that. That's true woman power right there. And I love that you incorporated that into the name and it makes so much sense with your brand and mission. Like, ah, I applaud that. It makes me geek out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely didn't want to have, like when I say I saw nothing for women, even from the names of these cannabis companies, there were like Mm, rapper weed and athlete weed or dank this or green tree and i'm just like that's so corny i would that's not me like i as a woman i like classy things i like things that have more detail and we wanted to bring that field to the cannabis industry to products that you have in stores our jars and our design you can tell that it's a woman-owned company but by design (laughs) We yeah. want you to we want you to see the effort we put into our packaging and how, you know, the effort we put into creating even our name. How we mm-hmm. could have called ourselves Woman Dank. Yeah. The LLC. Dank Duchess. Yeah. Right. You know, and it's just so like and I, it's okay, but it's just um it's been there, done that. And we wanted to reach a whole nother niche that we feel hadn't been touched yet. Wow. Yeah, you're you're speaking to me because I think there is a lot of that stereotypical stoner imagery or, you know, it's a hot girl with the plant leaf and it's like, okay, but there's so much more to that in, in the industry. And so even when we look at website designs for our customers, we're we're more elevated, that sophisticated touch, right? Because 
it we've seen the other stuff and it's it's played out <laughs> exactly and i feel the cannabis industry now is expanding we have more states online and even in current states more cities are opening up and Mm -hmm. more entrepreneurs are coming into the industry and more customers are coming to cannabis as an option and i just feel like people should have options i feel like when a consumer walks into a dispensary they can you know, there should be something for the millennials, for the older people, for the men, for the yep. farmer, for the bro, for the bros, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, for the athletes that, you know, are more health conscious. So they looking for something with less sugar or for women because they're dealing with chronic headaches or chronic menstrual cramps. So I believe that just like when you walk into Target and you can find something for, you know, what you're dealing with. I believe that's the same thing with these with these dispensaries. But the only way we're going to get there is if brands, diverse brands, keep coming out that are not the same. Yeah, yeah, they are not doing the same thing. Key, yeah. because your consumers are diverse too, right? You're, and I just saw an article on LinkedIn about a lot of the older demographic, you know, not feeling like they're seen, right? They exactly. see even in point of sale material. It's younger people. You're catering to one demographic and there's so much more than that. And and that's what we talk about in marketing too, right? Segmentation, personalization, segment your audience, figure out who you're talking to and create messages and marketing that will appeal to them because you don't just have one type of customer coming into your store. You have different brand personas that are actually following your brand and that's how you should be treating that. And you don't want to exclude a huge part of your audience by just crafting everything towards, you know, young men or whatever, whatever be the case, like you were mentioning. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to pivot a little bit too. I want to ask you about more or less like what what's going on in Michigan uh, at the local level, because I know there's a lot of different state and federal laws to consider when cultivating and there's supply and demand issues on top Mm -hmm. of that. Um, So what's your biggest challenge uh, in Michigan right now? Well, Michigan is what we consider a mature market. And usually when a market reaches maturity, um, there's this supply and demand dance. Um, A lot at the beginning, there was this green rush, which I'm sure you've heard that term. Whereas a lot of people went to acquire real estate and they opened all these stores or they opened all these cultivation facilities with before really like understanding the market and how it was going to play out. So there's certain areas of the state that are saturated with retail stores. So we've seen over the last six months in certain cities, a few retail stores and chains starting to shut down because the population and that traffic of that area does not support 30 stores and yeah. maybe supports 15. Um, and then also from the cultivator standpoint, the same. Um, there was a lot of people who entered into cultivation all within the same couple of years. And um, now that things have kind of leveled out, we've seen an oversaturation of inventory out there that has driven the price per pound down. So within the last, I guess I could say maybe like a year and a half, we've seen the price per pound really cut in half, or I would say at least 40%, which is a drastic 
change. And that happens in other states, you know, more older states like the Colorados and the California, like it happens. But in Michigan, also because of the pandemic, it escalated. Um, We definitely thought the market was going to reach maturity, but not as quickly as it did. It's like when the when the prices started dropping, they just started dropping. They were like sprinting. It wasn't a jog. It was like a really fast sprint. Um, so that um, has been challenging, especially as a wholesale cultivator. We've had to um, cut our prices to remain competitive with the market, um, but still maintain good margins so we can make money and pay our bills and continue to expand at the same time. So the wow. COVID prices were definitely um, a little better than they are now, but we still been able to tackle the market at like a um, right below um, top shelf. So not the most expensive, but we still get a good price. So um, we we haven't had to turn to that value category. So I'm I'm thankful for that. And I think it's because of our quality, our branding, our niche, our education, and all the other things we do around just growing wheat. Yeah, that's huge. And yeah, testament to you all, uh, because it's hard. And in Colorado, we definitely see that. Um, We've been talking about how there's just dispensaries the stones throw away. So again, they're training consumers where I could go to light shade for my cheap ounce, I could go to Oasis and get my concentrate. And you know, it's a race to the bottom sometimes. And uh, yeah, not a good feeling. And and that's huge that you all have been able to differentiate yourselves. And I think that's, that's key to compete and win, right? You got to have a strong brand and you got to have that differentiation um, in order to compete and, and really win more sales. Now you had mentioned prior also that you were expanding your products and I want to know more about that. Obviously what, what made you decide to expand your products? How'd you know it was a good time to do it? Really? We are a brand that really prioritizes customer feedback and we go above and beyond to even gather that data we gather data through our social media, through in-person vendor days, and through other channels. And we write it down and we review it. And we actually, if it's a consistent feedback, we make that change, you know, despite what we may feel. If this is consistently coming from our customer base as we want this, we need this, then we listen to them. Um, And that is good feedback and positive feedback, but something that was um, good feedback and negative feedback. Uh, Most of the time, the feedback is positive. But here and there, you know, we get a DM or something like, I didn't like that strain. And we ask why and how did it make you feel and where did they buy it from so we can identify the exact batch. And then we go look at the information like, why was this batch different than the other batch? And we do that that detail. Um, And we do bus tender education and all that. And something that was consistent amongst our customers is we'll ask like, hey, guys, we want to introduce a couple of new strains. What do y'all want to see? What do y'all been looking for? You go to a dispensary and you're looking for something, you can't find it. What is that? And so that's what we decide to grow next. The same with um, our edible flavors. We 
are specializing right now in dessert edibles because we don't see anybody Ooh. that's really doing that. And I personally am a huge dessert fan. Yes. Huge. Yes. I want to try some of those. <laughs> I'm going to have yes. to visit. Yes. Oh, and that we, sounds and great. And we did the same thing with the flavors. Like we just didn't decide these flavors in the back room. Like we got them from our customers. Yeah. That's huge. Um, I, I know a lot of people that it, it, they think it's like a field of dreams. If I build it, they will come. And that's not the case. I've seen a lot of products that get built and, and then they're never like tested and, and customers just simply don't want it. So the fact that you have your ear to the ground, you're listening on social or whatever channels that you have available, that's huge. And that's another way that you're winning because you can continue to differentiate because you know exactly what your customers are looking for, for that differentiation. So I think that's huge. That's exactly why you are marketing like a badass. And that's why you're on the podcast. I love it. <laughs> Um, what lessons are you learning along the way as you expand and you're adding more products to your portfolio? I'm learning that even though we may have multiple SKUs and we may continue to grow that, that some SKUs are going to be a little bit more popular than, than others. So we don't necessarily have to cut some of the lower performers because they still perform consistently, but during production, we won't produce as much. And I never really thought about, about products in that way. I thought, you know, we test them and if people don't like them, then we just throw them away and do something else. But people do like them. It's just not everybody. Should we throw this away? So um, we've taken the former approach of just really doing that market test, that beta test and adjusting our production based on the consistent data that we're seeing. So we work with our retailers to pull sales and seeing, you know, what strains are selling quickly within the first two weeks. What edible flavors do you have a lot of packets still left of? And we do our research that way and change our production around that, those metrics. That's smart. Yeah, being as intentional as possible, right? Because you you know, you have the data at your hands, you know exactly how you can pivot and make mm -hmm. use of of your all's time and investment. And I think that's huge because to your point, uh with things going on in a mature market, you want to have cash flow, you want to focus on things that are really going to move the needle for your business. Yes. So now I want to pivot and talk a little bit about what you do with your nonprofit, how you're empowering social equity businesses in Michigan and empowering minorities in cannabis um, as a whole. So through your work with your nonprofit, Collexium Catalyst, you work to cultivate community and not just cannabis. I think it's super badass. So I want to hear more. Tell our li listeners more about your nonprofit and the curriculum program that you have for social equity companies. Yes. Thank you. One of our taglines is Collexium is community. I mentioned more so at the beginning that the reason that we created Collexium is because we noticed several gaps in the industry. One was a disservice to women. Two was the lack of minority representation. And three was the lack of community engagement. Like this is a 
healing plant, but it also is a fun plant. And a lot of people think they sexy in this industry, but really there's a couple of core things that we can never forget about cannabis. And one of those is the impact that the war on drugs had to especially urban communities. And being from Detroit, I have seen this all around me growing up, uh, uh, impacting my family, my friends, me um, going through legal challenges I have seen the harms on the war on drugs. And as our company grows and expands, I want our impact in the community to also do the same. And we didn't want to follow the model that we saw a lot of cannabis companies do where maybe give a check or two to a nonprofit a year, maybe have a cleanup once a year. And that's really it. We wanted to go above and beyond and say, instead of working with a nonprofit, we want to become the nonprofit because we are from the community and we already have the connections in the community and we know what the community needs. Yes. Um, so we decided That's huge. to, thank you, create our um, nonprofit. And we have four like programs and um, really quick, one is our community garden, community gardening initiative. Because like you said, we're cultivators and we cultivate more than cannabis. We cultivate lettuce and peppers and kale um, and et cetera. And our garden is open from the spring to the fall, right in the community. And we give out the vegetables for free to our local neighbors. And we Aww. also host activities in our gardens, um, especially for kids, like arts and crafts projects and things like that. There's a lot of kids in the neighborhood that need things to do. Um, we also have a workforce development program that we work to develop curriculums and trainings, teaching people different aspects of the cannabis industry. We also have a after-school STEM program that we're developing right now that should be active maybe this fall and working with some local elementary and middle school um, students and just talking about the different areas of science, technology, engineering, and math. Yes, that's um, huge. I, I yeah. love that. There's not enough, especially women in STEM. So good for you for empowering them. Exactly. Exactly. And me and my co-founder are from STEM backgrounds. She's a scientist. I'm an engineer. And, you know, we, we want to see that impact in our community. And I can also tell you just from an entrepreneur standpoint of finding qualified talent that has skill sets, I cannot find that in my community. I oftentimes have to go outside of Detroit, outside of Michigan, outside of my race or outside of my gender to find the skill set. And it's because a lot of this education does not exist in urban communities. So we want to create that. And then lastly, um, Detroit has especially been extra hurt by the war on drugs. And there's a lot of dilapidated homes and just vacant lots and eyesores really in the community. And we've taken upon us to acquire some of those vacant homes and redevelop them or uh, beautify the lots. We keep the grass cut in the snow shovel, um, which just something as simple as that can really improve the aesthetics of a neighborhood. It, that's everything. And it goes so far for so many people. And to your point, you're providing food and, and education and 
just the community impact alone, what you're doing is is going to expand so much far beyond cannabis. I mean, for people to have support like that, that's sometimes unheard of. And I think like we can all take a lesson from <laughs> from your book um, on how to do business the right way and have a sense of that that corporate social responsibility because to your point there is so much more that people should and could be doing and um and and sometimes sometimes people don't know the right direction to take but hopefully this story can inspire um people to take action because it's just again finding where there's opportunity in your com- communities to to give back and show support exactly Yes, I love that. I, I'm just so inspired. Um, I'm curious about the nonprofit. Did that start at the same time as your business or, or did that evolve after you all started? Um, it started maybe within six months of each other. Okay. So, so very close. We also wanted to do things differently and we didn't want to wait till we, we were this big operator, you know, maybe one day multi-state and now it's time for us to give back to the community. We wanted to start that from day one. So we yep. have been in the community, you know, during build out, during licensing when we really didn't have our own resources of our own, but we are still in the community volunteering our time. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, everybody has time to do a little bit and, and volunteering mm-hmm. is awesome. Like that's how I've met some of the best people. I mean, I've in the cannabis and the beer community, there's a lot of stuff that that we're doing in terms of volunteering. And it's it's a good way to meet people. You, you know, you you feel fulfilled. It's it's not like um, it's not the worst thing in the world. So figure out like what you can do today to, to start giving back, because I think there's so much opportunity in cannabis. Um, you know, we can be lifting each other up and instead of trying to, you know, chop each other down, there's so much abundance. And I, I'm excited to see more people get engaged and involved. Um, what's on the horizon for your program? How do you see that evolving? Do you think you're just going to lean into the kind of four pillars that you have now? We have a development plan for our neighborhood. We have a a vision, if you will, of creating a community space where we can actually bring people to train them for different cannabis jobs. We have, um, we don't want to create a park because that's a lot. That's a lot to do, but we want to create some nice green spaces where people can chill on benches and read a book. We want to cultivate that type of activity in our neighborhood. That's, That's really amazing. one of the, the largest things we really want. We're really working on is that aesthetic beautification to the neighborhoods because it's so needed. It's so needed in a city like Detroit. And I'm sure there's a lot of urban centers around the country that in certain cities, you can really tell that the war on drugs, the recession, the depression, the pandemic really did a number. So you see a lot of just vacant vacancy, but I just view it as more so opportunity. Yeah. So we are really, we, we aesthetically want to improve our community. We want you to drive into the community and say, oh, this looks way better than it did two years ago. 
That's amazing. Yeah, be proud. I mean, there's there's so much opportunity. And um, yeah, the fact that you all are doing what you're doing is just so inspiring. I I just can't wait. Now I'm like, okay, get to work, Kristen. <laughs> Uh, I can't, I, I can't wait to keep you updated. Cause you know, I think again, I, I aspire to be like that, right? Why, why the heck not? Um, I want to see other women and minorities in business win because I think just too often we're, we're not getting the access to funding that we, <laughs> that we deserve. We're not getting a lot of that. And, and so, and sometimes it's hard to find even the resources that you need in order to either, you know, get the education you need to enter the space or whatever that might might be. So again, it's it's just invaluable what you're doing. And I think um, I, I would just love to see more people doing this, especially in cannabis. Um, within the cannabis industry, I mean, there's a lot of diversity and inclusion issues. Um, and so I'm curious what you think as a whole, the industry can be doing to get more diversity in the space, both again, for, for BIPOC and, and women owned leaders. I think the number one thing is, I don't know why I said number one, cause there's a few things. Um, one thing is education. There are people of color, women who have the desire to enter the cannabis industry, whether that's via employment, ancillary, or even a licensee, but they don't know how. They don't know the steps. They don't know the one through 10. So I think one of the main things is education and exposing these communities to the opportunities that exist. I think through media and social media, many people on the outside of the industry that want to enter the industry, they don't know how. And then they're also really intimidated and think it's impossible. They think it's impossible one day to be a cannabis entrepreneur, even though, you know, right now they're in a different industry. They think it's impossible to one day open a dispensary and be a licensee. When it's not, it's just challenging. And there it's a, a bit long of a journey but it is definitely possible. And I think exposing people to those opportunities and then also exposing people to the industry that exists. Like most people, they may consume, but they're not familiar with this cannabis supply chain and all the opportunities that exist along that supply chain. You know, there's not only growers and retailers, but there's everybody in between the testers to secure transport. And then there's also people like you who are on the ancillary side and do media and marketing and accounting and are an attorney or a realtor. There's so many opportunities that exist, but that knowledge of how do I access that those opportunities is slim. And I think that discourages a lot of people like us who are women and a lot of people of color from even trying to get into the cannabis industry. Cause they think it's just so intimidating. And they're just like, I can't do it. I think yeah. that's one of the main things. And I think as a cannabis community, that's something we can help with. Like mm -hmm. we all have different experiences in cannabis and we may know other marketers that are in other industries, but have a passion for the cannabis industry. We can share things with them. We may know other people that can grow produce, but they've never grown cannabis, but a lot of things are kind of similar. 
Mm-hmm. We can pass them along that information or tell them about organizations they can join or tell them about podcasts that they can listen to. It's sharing of information I think would make a huge difference. There's definitely yep. other things, you know, raising capital and things, but something that's uh, very doable, you know, those raising capitals and real estate, those are huge mountains. But this whole sharing of education and knowledge, I think there's something that anybody in the cannabis industry can do. Yeah. As, oh, and if you know how to raise capital, come over here. We want to talk to you because that's that's another thing. You know, I mean, it's just so challenging. And um, I, I see a lot of, you know, my my male counterparts that have that education and access to to more easily raise capital or get the education to understand how to do it. Exactly. Um, at least women empowered in cannabis, that group, they actually just partnered with the Panther group and they released how women in cannabis can, can raise funds. And so go check that out. The Panther group. If you're curious, again, any roadblocks we can remove. So people have less of a barrier to entry, like let's do it. I want to support each other and have more people win because there is opportunity. There is abundance, right? We, (laughs) we don't have to, um, be so cutthroat, even though some people in cannabis are right, we can we can help others enter the space a little bit more easily and feel welcomed and accepted. You know, the other thing is layoffs right now are disproportionately impacting people of color. And that's in tech, that's in cannabis, like, that's, that's an issue. So use your voice if you're seeing things. um, I think that's the biggest way you could be an ally in this space too, because right now with all the layoffs, it's just undoing a lot of the work that we've done for diversity and inclusion in the spaces that we're in. Right. And so it's going to be really important this year, next year, keep moving forward, keep pushing, you know, for diversity, inclusion, and a better workplace, whether you're the business owner, whether you're just somebody that, that works there. Exactly. So, I was just uh, gonna say one quick follow-up to that is mm-hmm. even with the raising capital, if you do not know how to raise capital, write a business plan, write a pitch deck, know what a valuation is. These are all education barriers that significantly impact the BIPOC community. So, you know, that's another that's another thing. It's not just about cannabis, it's also about business acumen. You know, a lot of people, um, of color and women have challenges in raising capital because they don't know how to. Now there's other barriers, like we know how to, but we still have challenges. So there's some things that, you know, you can't change, but there's certain things that you can change with that education. I'm so passionate about education. Yeah, I I, I think that's huge. And again, we got to level the playing field and and we can do it and, and get more badasses uh, people of color, women in positions to where we're running the businesses and we're impacting communities. <laughs> um, I, I'm just excited for a better future because I think you guys, you know, you alone, right? You're inspiring other people to do the same. And if we can make an impact, like think local, but act global, or, or I'm sorry, act wh- whatever. <laughs> but basically, excuse me, think global, 
act local, right? So it's more of like, hey, listen, you can think big, you can think global, you can have your big goals, but always be acting at that community level to make as big of an impact as you can, and and especially where your roots are. So um, it, it's pretty impressive. Can't wait to see what we're going to do next now that I'm inspired. Colorado, here I come. Um, where can minorities find more resources or groups? Is there like web websites, anything like that, that can empower um, more either social equity companies or other minority-owned businesses with, with tools for success? Yes, great question. I would start off with my favorite resource, which is our social equity incubator, the Detroit Cannabis Project. The Detroit Cannabis Project is an incubator that has partnered with the state of Michigan, the regulatory agency, and the city of Detroit, and we offer technical assistance on the cannabis business. We have a in, intense, what's it called? What's this word I'm called? Like, um, we have a lot of recordings and webinars out there, just information that is readily available, free. Oh, you know the nice. word? What's like the a, word? I like a knowledge base. Yes, yes, exactly. That's free. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to sign in. You can just go right to our website and just look at different webinars that talk about 280E, that talk about cultivation, that talk about a license application, that talk about zoning and regulations and what does that look like. That's my favorite resource. And we're expanding this year to the West Coast. So I'm really excited about that. I also Ooh. have a second favorite resource. I'm on the board of the National Cannabis Industry Association, the NCIA. And the NCIA has a social equity program that has a lot of great benefits, discounts to memberships and other things, continuous recurring programming, podcast recordings that you can listen to, mentorships that you can be paired into, a lot of great resources there. And then there's other great organizations that prioritize education for minorities. So it's the MCBA, the Minority Cannabis Business Association, all these acronyms. And then it's yeah. also M4MM that does a lot of education around advocacy and the plant in the cannabis space. Nice. Gosh, uh, a couple of those are new. So thank you for sharing because I, I know like NCIA and their networking events are great. Great Thank way you. for you to get out and do some networking and, and meet other people in the industry. So that's pretty badass. I, I love it. You're so involved. I don't know when you ever actually sleep, but we can have a whole podcast episode on that. <laughs> the cannabis helps. Well, that's very true. Thank, Yeah, thankful for that. I want to pivot really quick and, and end it with a fun lightning round um, and, and give you a couple uh, oddball questions that you have 10 seconds to answer. So are you ready for that? Sounds fun. All right. Who's your favorite music artist or band? This is so hard. I love music. Damn. Oh, um. Oh no. Uh, Music yeah. artist. Three, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys. Oh, all right. Nice. What's your favorite cannabis strain? Biscotti cake. Ooh. Oh, that sounds delicious. Best book for entrepreneurs. The subtle the sub the subtle art of not giving a fuck. 
Oh, I think I just downloaded the the Audible book. Yes. Great. Okay. Great read. Uh, I can't wait to start that. What's the first career you dreamed of having as a kid? A scientist. Nice. What's your hidden talent? And and could it be any cooler than growing weed for a living? <laughs> no, or selling weed legally. <laughs> like that's why I tell people I do. No cooler than that. Um, I am a, a fitness instructor. I'm really great at teaching yoga, cycling. It's it's really wow. It's amazing. My classes, not to you know, not to fit, fitness you know. instructor. You're on yeah. the board, you know. No, no big deal, guys. Uh, can I be you when I grow up? Like, <laughs> ah, you're you're awesome. Like, literally, you're a badass. I'm just so grateful that you spent some time with us today and got on the podcast to share some knowledge. And if you all aren't already following Rebecca, follow her on LinkedIn. You know, keep keep track of her and her journey. You know, she's posting there. You may be able to keep up with her many jobs and opportunities and ventures. And uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. I, I'm so glad we connected and I can't wait to see what you conquer next. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Yes. And, and again, this is what true leadership is all about. So um, if you're in growth mode, if you're looking to differentiate yourself in the cannabis industry, download this episode, start building your badass cannabis business plan today. If you need help or resources, check out Market Like a Badass Facebook group um, or the show notes, and I'll link to Rebecca's social handles. But um, Rebecca, is there anywhere else you'd like to point people to, website, social, anything like that? You can follow Collexium everywhere at Collexium. We do a lot of education on our Instagram. So please follow us on our Instagram and uh, see you soon. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. I'll drop this information in the show notes so our listeners can find you. Follow us on Apple or Spotify or go to marketlikeabadass.media for the latest episodes of Market Like a Badass. <music>